Heavenly Father, you are glorious. And we now see only in part. Yet we have tasted your goodness. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. And we look forward to what is to come, God. I pray that our hearts will be encouraged as we look into your word and remember what you have revealed to us about what is to come. May it strengthen us for now as we wait. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday morning, Pastor Josh preached through the last section of the book of Revelation. And, and he joked, well, where do you go from there? Well, you just go back to Genesis at the beginning and we go all the way through again. Well, that's actually not quite the case because in my Bible, the very next page in Revelation is the table of weights and measures. So I took a picture of that in my Bible and it's a little small, I understand, but it's, it's so good. So let's just start. Okay, um, one talent equals 60 minus. One mina equals 50 shekels. No, I'm joking. Okay, let's... Uh, let's would that be an awful sermon to, to read through the table of weights and measures and then the, I think the index is next? Well, that's not what we're doing. What we are going to do today is a revelation recap. Yep, the whole book. That's what it says up there. So we have spent most of 2016 looking at the book of Revelation and I have enjoyed I want to thank you. It was back in January where I asked you all, do you wanna, just want to go through the first five chapters or the whole book? And everybody who came back to me said, let's do the whole book. Thank you. Uh, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed studying the book of Revelation, and I, I love this idea of now trying to recap the book. So, let's ask that question. What is the book of Revelation about? Do you have, a, do you have an answer brewing in your mind? I've asked lots of people that question over the last few weeks. The most common answer that I got from pastors was, Jesus is coming back, after they had put about you know, half a second worth of thought into it. And, and certainly, certainly, the idea of Jesus coming back is a major theme of Revelation, and we'll get to that. But I, I think there's more. I think if we dig a little bit deeper, there's more than just the fact that Jesus is coming again. So, so what is it? What's the book of Revelation about? Now, in a few moments, I'm going to tell you my answer. And I'm not trying to suggest to you that I have the right answer, and anybody who has a different answer has the wrong answer. No, that's not the way to do this. What I'm just trying to do today is to help you be able to, to understand the book of Revelation as a whole. I think that's a good way to study the Bible. Sometimes it's good to you know, just really dive into some verses and, and look at the individual words. It's great to do that. And other times it's great to look at the, at the book as a whole. And that's what we're going to do today with the book of Revelation. So what's it about? Well, a, another very common answer that we get is that the book of Revelation is about the sovereignty of God. And absolutely it is. In fact, the, the first point, I have three points in my message. The first point that I have today will deal with that issue of the sovereignty of God. He is in control. But I don't think that that quite covers it either because I think the sovereignty of God is meant to, to bring something out in us. We're supposed to remember that for a purpose. Okay, so I think there's something else. Um, other people have said that the book of Revelation is about hope. In fact, I was talking with an elderly saint this week, not from this congregation, but uh, somebody who may be in, in his very last season of life as he's battling a, a deadly disease. And I asked him, what's the book of Revelation about? And he, with a, sm a huge smile on his face, said, it's good news. So think about that. Uh, think If you've ever struggled with anything in life, or, or maybe you're close to the, the end of your life, or even if you're not, there's great hope in knowing what is to come for us. And, and God's word tells us about that. 
Or here's another way to look at the book of Revelation. I just read this one this week, and it was so good, it almost made me think, boy, I maybe should have gone with that one instead. But uh, uh, there was a theologian who said that the book of Revelation follows the first part of the Lord's Prayer. So think about that. The first part, our Father who art in heaven. Do we see that in the Revelation? Yeah, he's seated on his throne. The second part, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed just means holy. We see in the book of Revelation people singing, holy, holy, holy. We just sang it as well. The next part, your kingdom come. Well, yeah, we see that too. And then finally, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So maybe you think about that the next time you're saying the Lord's Prayer. Like, oh yeah, the, the book of Revelation kind of walks us through the first part of that. Or there's another way of looking at the book of Revelation in which our goal, once we're done studying it, is to come up with a chart. So this is the one where you, you look at all those difficult passages and you look at the timing of all the things and you compare other people's charts to your chart and your goal is to come up with a chart. And I've actually done that here. So that's what I have here on my stand. Is, uh, this, is, uh, this, this is not everything, but uh, here, here's my chart. Okay? So I, I've got the, uh, the seven seals, the trumpet, the tribulation, the rapture, heaven, hell. I've got all that stuff in there. And some of you might be really interested to see what's on my chart. And I tell you what. After the service is done, if you want to, you can come and look at my chart. But I'm going to turn this over in just a second because I think to do Revelation this way and only this way is to miss the point. So what I want to do is I want to now introduce you to my theme, one word, and uh, some of you know what it is already before I turn it around. So, worship. That's, that's what I think the book of Revelation is about. I read one commentary this week that said that the, the theme of worship unifies the book of Revelation, and, and I would agree with that. Uh, one of my pastor friends talked this week about how the book of Revelation shows us what is about to come in the future and reminds us that what our relationship with God should look like both now and then is worship. Here's how I would say it, and this is my big idea for today. When we recognize God for who he rightly is and then live accordingly, we live the lives of worship that we were created for. So when we understand things from the book of Revelation, that, that God is sovereign and holy and loving and worthy of praise, and, and when we embrace those ideas and live according to the truth of who God is, and when we set our eyes on Him and worship Him, that's the kind of life we were created for. And God will receive glory when we live like that, and I think it will change our hearts for the better as well. But this takes faith on our part. You see, the book of Revelation doesn't just tell us what is true about God and the future. It also tells us how we should live now. There's, there's major sections of that. But that's what it's about. It reminds us of how we should live as we wait for Jesus to come again. And we should live as worshipers now. So often, as you read through the book of Revelation, and I've tried to remind this of you throughout the series, and, and if you were to do it even just today, just flip through the book of Revelation and notice all the times that what we see is a scene of worship. Why, why so often does the book of Revelation stop and show worship? Because I think it reminds us of our life's purpose. Those who spend all of their time in God's presence in heaven are still so captivated by him that they worship him night and day. Now let me just pause here and say a word about the word worship. When I use that word, I don't just mean the songs we sing, and I don't intend for you to, to think that heaven will just be one long worship song. 
Because as I've told you throughout the other sermons, especially lately as we looked at Revelation 21 and 22, there are lots of other great things that we will do in heaven, including eating. And I hear it's not polite to sing with your mouth full, so I don't know if we'll do that in heaven. Our whole lives should be lives of worship. And when we recognize for God for who he rightly is and then live accordingly, we will live the lives of worship we were created for. So what I want to do now with the rest of my sermon is I want to show you three themes from the book of Revelation, all of them centering around this idea of worship. And then after we look at those three themes, I want to end with five points of application, okay? Just so you know where we're headed today. Okay, so theme number one, God is worthy of worship as the sovereign one. And here is where I would agree with people when they say that the sovereignty of God is a theme of revelation. I would absolutely agree. And if you don't know what the word sovereign means, you can just look it up on the screen there. Some people like to break it down and, and say that it kind of looks like so very reign. That, that God is the one who completely reigns as king. That, that's kind of what the word sovereign means. He is in control. And, and the fact that Jesus is coming again to bring all of this world to a conclusion should remind us that, that God is in control. Okay, so where do we see those themes of sovereignty in Revelation? Well, the theologian Grant Osborne says in his commentary that one of the dominant images in the book of Revelation is God on his throne. That's why we just sang that song. And, and it helps me to remember that, that God right now is seated on his throne as the king. So often when we see those descriptions of God in heaven, though, we, we don't just see him as king. What else do we see? Right when he's described as king, we're draw the attention then is drawn to what's happening around him. And what's happening around him? It's worship. Whether that's the four living creatures, or the 24 elders, or millions of angels, or the uncountable company of the redeemed, so often the response that we see to God in heaven, because he's the sovereign one, is worship. So let me show you what I think could be the key verse in Revelation. And by the way, when I say that, I don't mean to say it is the key verse. I just say this helps me kind of put Revelation into uh, in something a little smaller that we can manage in one bite size. So Revelation 5.13, and I'll put verse 14 on there as well. It says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Now, I like these verses because they remind us of how we should respond to God, and I like that it says every creature, every creature who beholds God knows that he is worthy of praise. And, and notice who that praise is directed to. It says, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So our, our worship is to God the Father and God the Son. If you were to see God right now, you would be in awe of his majesty. And, and I hope you know that he is worthy of worship. Okay, uh, but we're also talking about the sovereignty of God here. So let's get a little bit back on that theme right now. Uh, I want to point out a couple of things which remind us about God's sovereignty. And, and the first one of those is that God will judge sin. Several places throughout the book we see this concept, and perhaps most importantly we see it in the last three chapters where we see that, that all the dead were brought before God. And if the people's names were not written in the, the Lamb's book of life, 
They would be sent to the eternal lake of fire, the place designed as eternal punishment for Satan and his followers. But those who overcome, those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb, those who have faith in Jesus Christ, will get to live with God forever. But there, there's this inevitable point in all of our lives where there will be judgment and some will go away from God and some will get to be with Him. And just, we just need to know that about God. He is the judge. He is sovereign. He's the judge. And then a second part about God's sovereignty is that Jesus is coming again. Yeah, it's a major theme. We need to know that one. Uh, we may feel like the world is spinning out of control. Anybody here uh, watch politics over the last month and feel like, man, things are spinning out of control? Well, guess what? They're not. Okay? Um, whether we get a Trump White House or a Clinton White House or whatever else might happen, I'm still not sure it's going to be one of them. Oh, I don't know. Who, who knows what in the world is going to happen with our country? Well, God does, okay? God is in control. We do not need to spend a moment worrying about that. And I'm not saying that we should intentionally elect somebody who's not qualified into our office of president, but I am suggesting that God is in control. He's got this covered, okay? Don't worry. Application point here quickly. Do you believe that God is in control? I wish I did more. Um, we all go through stuff in life. We're all tempted to feel like things aren't going our way. But do you really believe that God is in control? And has that belief uh, made it from your head into your heart in such a way that you trust, in such a way that you don't worry anymore, in such a way that you don't fret when things don't go your way? God is sovereign, and as the sovereign one, he is always worthy of worship, and when we worship him like that, our lives tend to fall in the right order, even if things around us don't, even if the election doesn't. Our lives tend to fall in order when we trust in the sovereignty of God and worship him. Let's move on to the second point, though. Those who worship God will live forever with him in glory. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I've tried to be clear about this throughout this sermon series that I'm not trying to replace the gospel with the idea of worship. I'm not suggesting that the way into heaven is just to just be good enough at worshiping so that God will finally say, there you go, you've earned enough worship brownie points and now you can get it. No, that is not it. We need the gospel message because we are sinners and the only way for our sin problem to be taken care of is through Jesus Christ. So it's only those who have put their faith in him who will get into heaven, who will receive salvation. But what I would like to say then is that those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ should be worshipers. There should not be a single person ever who would say, yes, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, but who then goes on to live their own life as opposed to living the life that God would have for them. Because worship should be the response of our whole lives living by faith in Jesus Christ. And to receive Jesus and to go any other way would be not to worship him. So I, I want to I suggest that there is this link between receiving Jesus, receiving the gospel, and worshiping God. And, and, and the link is that those who receive him should be worshipers. Let me show you this a couple of places. Revelation 7, verses 14 and 15. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. That word serve on the last line there is that word that can either be translated as worship or serve. And it's the idea that we worship God by serving Him, we serve Him by worshiping Him. There's a, a connection there. And, and you see the connection also with the gospel message there. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The only way that our sin can be forgiven, the only way that our lives can be unstained is for us to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, to receive the forgiveness that came because of what He did in His death and resurrection. And then another passage, Revelation 12, verses 11 and 12. says, They overcame Him, that is, they overcame Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. So again, you see this connection. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. They put their faith in Christ. They were given the gift of eternal life. And then verse 12 says, Therefore, rejoice. Do you see that connection? Those who receive Jesus should be worshipers. And those who are worshipers of God through faith in Jesus Christ will get to live with God forever in heaven. And then in chapter 7, uh, Nathan read part of this. There's a great multitude there who have been saved by Jesus. And what do they do? They sing a song of praise for the salvation of God and the Lamb. And there's all kinds of this stuff in Revelation. Okay, you can, I, I encourage you, um, maybe today or over the next few days, read through the book of Revelation again and take special note of all those places where it's worship directed to God. And then also the last two chapters of Revelation hit on this theme. The last two chapters which describe our eternal home with God in the perfect place. And one of the verses there says, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So all of heaven is a worship experience. We will live forever with him. We will serve him and walk with him. And I would also just like to say that, that worship doesn't have to wait until heaven. Because I think as we worship God now, we're actually invited right now into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can spend time right now, and it's not just because we're at church. Throughout our lives, we can spend time in God's presence because we've been invited to be with him through Jesus Christ. God lives in our hearts through faith, through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. We have a relationship with him, and we should worship him. It's what we were created for. And, and I just want to put one more verse up. I, I really like this verse. Um, I wanted to figure out some way to get it into my sermon, and I think it fits in this theme here of, of the gospel and worship. In chapter 14, an angel comes. This is towards the end of, of the wrath that's being poured out, and there's an angel that comes with an important message and says, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Do you see what's going on there? All this judgment is getting poured out. God's enemies are about to be cast away. And the angel says, Fear God. Worship him who made the heavens. We should respond now with faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in him for our salvation. And from there we should live lives of worship. And people who live like that will get to be with God in eternal glory, in the perfect place. I hope you're looking forward to that. But there's a flip side to it, and that's point number three. Those who refuse to worship God will face his wrath. 
there are two ways that the book of Revelation talks about human beings who are headed for eternal wrath. One is that they refuse to repent and glorify God, and the second is that they worship Satan or the beast. Now, like I said earlier, our only hope for salvation is to respond rightly to the gospel, to put our faith in Jesus. Those who refuse will be punished with eternal wrath. And and make no mistake about it, God is holy. He will judge sin. Either we trust in Jesus, and, and therefore our sin was punished at the cross, or you refuse that offer, and God's wrath falls on you. Let me show you how this is described in the book of Revelation. At least three times in response to the judgments that God will pour out on earth, um, there's a description of people refusing to repent or glorify God. One of them is in Revelation 16:9 at the plague of intense heat. It says, They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. Instead of saying, Whoa! I must have really done something awful to offend God so much that he would send all these horrible plagues. I'm sorry, God. Instead of saying that, they stiffen their necks against God. They will not repent. They will not glorify God. Although there's one place in Revelation 11.13 where at the response to an earthquake, it it does look like some of the people of the earth will repent and give God glory. And I, I think that that's one of the reasons that God sends all those plagues on the earth before the final judgment is is to give the people an opportunity to respond with faith and repentance. Okay, so that's one way the enemies of God are described. They refuse to repent and glorify God. And then the other is said in Revelation 13, 4, where it says, Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Which, by the way, we'll get an answer to that question at the end of the book of Revelation. God can make war against him. But, but some people, when they see the power of Satan, they will worship him. And that might sound very disturbing to us. Like, who would ever worship Satan? Does anybody here know anybody? Even, do you even know anybody? Like a friend of a friend who worships Satan? Like that's their declared religion, is that they're a Satan worshiper? I, I don't. But I think what we see all around us is people worshiping Satan. And let me be very clear on this. We're not supposed to live our lives however we want We're supposed to worship God. And if we choose any other path than the path that God has for us, that is called idolatry. Instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus, if we fix our eyes on anything else, and that could be money, or pleasure, or your job, or rest, or anything else. If you pick any other path, that's called idolatry. And who do you think is the power behind idolatry? Satan. So if you look at it like that, we're either going to worship God or we're going to worship Satan, and that's exactly what the book of Revelation says. There's only two kinds of worshipers in Revelation. Those who worship God and those who worship Satan. Now, don't worry. Satan can't make you worship him. His his real power is in deception. But that, again, reminds me of why I think this theme of worship is, is one of the best ways to look at Revelation. Because we will worship someone or something. And if we don't worship God, the the only other choice is horrific. The book of Revelation clearly tells us where that other path ends, in wrath. God will punish the wicked. A large portion of the book deals with this idea of God punishing those who refuse to repent and glorify God. 
And it's sad. But those wicked people will be so opposed to God that they will join with Satan in battles against God. In fact, in Revelation 16 through 20, we, we see these battles against God and the deceptive forces of Satan and his demons going out into the world to, to try to convince people to join with Satan against God. Isn't it ridiculous? But think about it. We either live our lives in worship of God or we pick the idolatrous path that Satan wants us to be on. God will judge the wicked, but he will also forgive the repentant. It's like those theologians in the band Led Zeppelin. And, and I say theologians because we're all theologians, right? The, the word theology just describes the things that we believe about God, and we all believe some things about God. So, so Led Zeppelin, they were being theologians when they said these words, and, and some of you can say it with me, I know. They said, yes, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, what's the next line? Nobody wants to say it, do they? <laughs> you know it, but you don't know. There's still time to change the road you're on. We change by coming to Jesus. And I just want to urge you to do it now before it's too late. Otherwise, it's wrath. God will judge the wicked. And by the way, even God's wrath in the book of Revelation is a reason for praise. Did you know that? And it's not that we rejoice in the demise of people. Not by any means. We would rather them be saved. But we rejoice in the holiness of God. And I think there will one day be a day where we will get to see God judge sin. And there, there should be a part of us that says, praise the Lord, because we don't want to live in a place where sin is allowed in. God has a plan to take care of it. And it's one of the reasons that we can worship him. Those who refuse to worship God will face his wrath. Those who refuse to worship God will end up worshiping Satan. And I know that sounds harsh, but that's where the road leads. It reminds me of the time when Satan tempted Jesus to worship him. Remember that in Matthew 4 when Jesus was in the desert? Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would worship Satan. And how did Jesus respond? In Matthew 4.10, he said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Away from me, Satan. What a, what a great thing for us, a, a great piece of advice from Jesus for us to live by. So let's close out this sermon now by asking ourselves what it means for us to worship God now. You see, worship isn't something that we should wait until heaven to do. If God is worthy of worship, that means that he's worthy of worship now, and we should live our whole lives as worshipers. And God gave us his word so that we could know him, so that we could live with him and live those lives of worship. So let's look at the now part of worship, because we will be blessed if we apply what the book of Revelation has for us. And it is my honor at the end of Revelation to remind you of the third verse of Revelation. Look at this. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Over this sermon series, over the last ten months or so, we have read every word of the book of Revelation. We'll be blessed by it. But it says also, blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. So let's spend some time now taking these things to heart. So again, five applications here. Number one, be with Jesus. This, this has to be first, right? 
In at least three verses in Revelation, we're invited into a relationship with God. One of them is a verse that was significantly important to me in, in helping me understand a relationship with God. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. He says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. The door there can represent our heart or our life, and Jesus is knocking. The response he wants from us is that we would open up our life, open up our heart, and receive him. And, and that last phrase about eating with him and, and us, him with us and us with him, it's meant to picture a relationship that we're to do our whole life with God, even the mundane task of eating. Whatever we do, we are to do it with Jesus. And that begins as we invite him to take his rightful place as Savior and Lord in our lives. So if you've never done that, I just want to urge you to do it now. Respond to Jesus. Open the door. There's a stark contrast between those who reject that offer and those who receive Jesus. It's eternal, life or death. Once we've received Jesus... Then, we are to live the rest of our lives as worshipers of God. And chapters 2 and 3 give us some great tips on how to live as worshipers of God. So my next two application points come out of chapters 2 and 3. Application number 2. Repenting is a great way to worship God. To repent means to turn away from sin. And think about it this way. Uh, we often beat ourselves up when we sin. And, and believe me, there's something right about being horrified at our sin when we see it. But think about this. When you sin, it's an opportunity to worship by turning away from that sin. And I'm not suggesting that you should do what some people have done in life, is just sin more so that there can be more forgiveness. No, please don't do that. That's not the right way to live. But if you catch yourself in a sin, think of it as an opportunity to worship God by repenting. Revelation 3.3 says, Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. We all get entangled with things in life that we shouldn't. We all make bad choices. So think about your life. Is there something you're struggling with right now? Is there one sin that keeps popping up in your life? Or perhaps one that you just committed recently? Now think about it, and as an act of worship, talk to God about it. Ask Him to cleanse you, to forgive you, and ask Him for the strength not to fall into that sin again. It's a great way for we who have sinned, myself included, to worship God by turning away from sin. You can honor God with that kind of repentance. And by the way, the life of the Christian should be a life of constant willingness to repent. And I, and I chose those words carefully. Constant willingness. I'm not suggesting that everything we do is sinful. Okay, let's not think of our lives that way. I think that we can get it right sometimes. But I think that we should also be willing always to hear from God, even to ask God, is there anything I've done to offend you? And we should always be willing, if, if somebody else comes to us and suggests that we've done something wrong, we should always be willing to talk to God, and if there is something wrong in our heart or in our actions, to be willing to repent. We should always be willing to have that conversation with God about our sin and to turn away. So repenting is a great way to worship God. And application number three, persevere. Revelation 2.10 says, Be faithful even to the point of death. And then 2.25 says, Only hold on to what you have until I come. Have you ever noticed that our lives can be difficult? The temptation in our difficulties is to take our eyes off of God. We're tempted to choose a life that might be easier. We're tempted to choose a path that we think might bring us more pleasure. 
But don't fall for it. When the tough times get tough, persevere. Make sure to stay close to God. So are you going through a tough time right now, any of you? I would just urge you to worship God by persevering. Because I think that gives meaning to our struggles. Think about this. We so often in our lives, when the difficult times come, we think, oh no, things were going so well for me, and then this difficulty came and ruined it. You ever caught yourself thinking that? Yeah, I have. What if we turned that on its head and said, okay, things were going so well for me, and then this difficulty came. It must be something that God has allowed into my life and I'm going to worship him in it. In the book of James, it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because perseverance leads to some really great things in us, in our character, and it gives glory to God. So the next time that difficult thing rears its ugly head in your life, remember that God's in control and worship God in the midst of that difficulty. Think how different your life would be if when those trials came, you met them with joy and worship instead of frustration and despair. Who wants to choose a life of frustration and despair? Raise your hand. I didn't think so. Let's choose joy. Let's worship God in the midst of our difficulties because he's worthy of worship there. Think of the book of Job. Um, Job had a really good life and then God allowed him to be tried by difficulties. And what did, what's the, the response from Job? He blessed and did not curse God. He knew God is the one who gives and God is the one who takes away. And he knew God is the one who was worthy of worship in the midst of his difficulties. That gives meaning to our difficulties. Sometimes I think we think those difficulties take meaning away from life. It's not true. Those difficulties can actually provide great meaning in our lives if we meet them with worship. Now, I'm spending a little bit of extra time on this application point because I need that one, okay? I, I need to be reminded of that. And I think we all do. Let's move on to application number four. Live with God now. As I have said many times from this pulpit, I think that the biggest blessing we have in the Bible is the blessing of God with us. In heaven, here's how it's stated, Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. We have wonderful things to look forward to in this realm of God with us. But, as I showed you earlier from Revelation 3.20, those who open the door to Jesus, we receive him, and he lives with us. So we have the blessing of God with us now. We don't have the fullness of it yet because we don't see God face to face. We're not in heaven yet. But we do have in part and in very real ways the blessing of God with us. Because he is with us, we can, we can talk with God throughout our day. We're commanded in the Bible to pray continually. And, and that doesn't mean closing your eyes and folding your hands 24 hours a day. It means talking with God throughout your day, inviting him into your day. Also, because we have the blessing of God with us now, we can meet with God in his word. The same Holy Spirit who oversaw the entire process of the, the writing of the Bible lives in us. The author of the Bible lives in us. And, and we can meet with him. We don't just have to hold our breath until Jesus comes again. We can live powerful lives right now because of the relationship we have with God through Jesus. 
And then my final application, and I'm sorry, Brian, I have gone a little over 30 minutes, but uh, we'll be wrapping it up shortly. But application number five should be no surprise by now. Worship God with your whole life. Again, the, picture, the pictures we see in Revelation are pictures of everyone bowing before the throne of God in worship. To see him is to know that he is worthy of worship. And although we can't see him now with our eyes, we can walk with him by faith. And if you know him, you should know that he is worthy of worship. And again, worship isn't just the songs we sing, it is the lives we live in praise of who he is. So, this might seem a little strange, but to close out this sermon in Revelation, this recap of the entire book of Revelation, I want to go to a, a verse in the book of Romans. It's one I've often gone to in my conclusions in this series. But Romans 12:1, I think, reminds us of what worship should look like now. We see so many pictures of worship in heaven in Revelation. And I think this Romans verse helps us understand what worship can look like now on earth. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And I was thinking about that. In, in heaven, I don't think it'll be sacrifice so much. I think it'll be praise and worship and glory and thanks. But for now on earth, it's, it's more difficult. And I think that that's where the sacrifice comes. We live as living sacrifices, dying to self, living for God our whole lives. And I really want you to get this point. You can honor God by living your life as a praise offering to Him. And that's not just true on Sunday morning. I hope you've been worshiping God here as we've been singing, as you've been listening to a sermon. But I also hope that you'll go from here into a week of worship. I hope you'll worship God today, for example, with the way that you rest. I know that many of you have chosen Sunday as your day of rest. I think it's a great pattern to have one, at least one day out of seven set aside for rest and worship. So as you go from here to rest, invite God to be with you in your rest. Worship Him as you rest. And then, as you think about maybe tomorrow, you go back to work or you go back to school. Worship God with the way that you work. Worship God with the way you take your classes. You see, work and school aren't just there so that we can have a career or money your work and your school are a way for you to worship God. And you can worship God by, by treating the people around you well, by working hard, by honoring God with the way that you, you work, the way that you interact with the other people. Or another way that we can worship God throughout our week is the way that we treat our family. Uh, sometimes family can be the, the most difficult people to get along with. And I just want to urge you if you're struggling with your family, see them as, as people that you can serve. Remember, there's that connection between the word serve and worship. You can worship God by serving your family. Love your family. Enjoy your family. And do it with God as an act of worship. Again, brings meaning and purpose. I, I hope you know there's great meaning and purpose in your family. And one of them, maybe the highest meaning and purpose in your family, is that you can worship God in the way that you interact with each other. And then one more way we can worship. Um, think about your free time. I was thinking about that earlier this week. Uh, in America, we call it free time, but really what we mean is me time. Right? I'll, I'll give God Sunday morning. I'll put in my 40 hours at work. 
When all that's over and I'm free, I get to do what I want. Really? Is that your time? Did you somehow uh, buy that time from God? <laughs> no, it belongs to Him. And we can worship God in our free time by the things that we choose to do, by the way that we do things with Him. And if there's something that we're about to do and we realize that He doesn't want to go with us into that, then we shouldn't do it. So think that, I think that gives purpose to our free time. And yes, God wants us to rest, so that can be part of it. But we can worship God with all of our time in whatever we do. I pray that we will see God's path and worship Him by walking on that path with Him. True worship happens when we live our lives in light of who God is. He receives glory and it leads to peace and joy for us. You were not created to live for yourself. You were created to live your life as a worshiper of God. And when we recognize God for who He rightly is, and then live accordingly, we live the lives of worship we were created for. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for what you have given to us, what you have revealed to us in your word. I thank you that we get these pictures of worship in heaven because, God, it reminds us that you are eternally worthy of worship. I pray that you would remind us of that fact now and that we would live lives right here of worship that we would know Jesus and do our whole life with him. And if there are any here who don't yet know Jesus, I pray that they would receive him right now as Savior and Lord. And God, as we, as we walk along in our lives, too often we mess up. I pray that we would repent of our sins, that we would worship you by turning away from sin and asking for your strength to live the right way. And God, I pray that we would persevere, that we would continue on that path that you have for us by faith, living the lives that you want us to live. That we would do our whole life with you. God, may our lives be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. Pray that we would offer our whole life, our whole body, everything about us, to you as an act of worship. God, we look forward to being with you in glory. Until then, would you please strengthen us to know you and to live lives of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.